This is A Smaller Life, a podcast about making more conscious and more ethical choices within our crafts. Hosted by me, Saskia de Feiter. I'm a small business owner who wants to grow by going smaller. Together with local makers, I make tools, yarns, and accessories for knitters that want to buy less, buy better, make more, and make it last, keeping away the overwhelm and all the ridiculousness of overconsuming within our crafts. In the podcast, I endeavor to answer the question we ask ourselves before we start a project. What do we buy? Where do we buy? Who do we buy from? Or don't we buy at all? But use what we already have. Because when you think about what you do, you take more time and end up with less of everything. As a result, you'll get a smaller life. Two weeks ago, I asked a question on my Instagram account. The question was, what is, in your personal opinion, a fair hourly wage for a professional crafter? And 85% says... It was more like 50 euros, but still a whopping 15% answered around 10 euros, which was, I was a little amazed by that answer and proceeded to ask some more questions. I got a lot of responses from hobby knitters and professional knitters and also other professionals. One of them is here with us now to talk to us about this topic. Her name is Jona van het Hof. And Jana, why don't you start by telling us what you do for a living and what your hobbies are? <laughs> Hi, I'm Jana. I'm I work as a legal and business advisor for a union of professional artists for visual artists. Well, it's a bit related to knitting, I think. I'm a I'm a knitter. I do also sew, crochet, weave. I love making textile. <laughs> so that's what's well. Both of these things triggered me to to answer and to talk to Saskia today. Yeah, so you you had an amazingly specific answer to the <laughs> to the topic, and I was completely like, "Oh, she needs to come and, and talk to the listeners and and share her knowledge with us." So let's first make this distinction between like, you work for a union of professional visual artists. What kind of artists are we? talking about specifically here well it's it's uh, a large variety may i think that the main disciplines are painters um, sculptors there will be some graphic designers photographers also some some textile artists i do believe we have a weaver well it's, it's one of the i think two or three big unions for visual arts in the Netherlands. It's an old art, the oldest union. They started in 45 after the Second World War from the artist resistance. And it's quite, in true history, it's quite, I say, activist organization. Mm. And nowadays it's not not so much. <laughs> we don't go to the streets anymore and shout. <laughs> But right now we kind of are. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> of these knitters <laughs> yeah. so well I, th I don't think we have any knitters in among the artists but I think the, the idea of, of setting your hourly wage or how to talk about your income I think it's the same for professional artists as for knitters and other people in the creative industry yeah so that is the, the creative industry is like the common 
denominator. So excuse me, there's a, a difference between a professional artist and a hobbyist and somebody that wants to make some money on the side, right? Yes, yes, there is. I think well, there, there's different things to, to approach this. I think you can see it in quality of the work, which is always a very difficult thing because it's really close related to taste. But you can also see it in how people relate to taxes and if they have a VAT number and these kind of things. And for us, we say... Well, when you're a professional artist, you have to think about the tax things. Depending on your income, you have to have a VAT number or maybe not. But at least you have to, to, to think about it, to know it exists and to know if you need it or not. Yeah. And well, it's professional to pay your taxes. So. Yeah. So in order to be a professional, you have to act like a professional. Exactly. And, yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, would you distinguish between and here we go this is a whole different <laughs> thing would you distinguish between an artist and a crafter could you say something about that Ooh, that's a dangerous topic <laughs> yeah, it is a dangerous topic i know because yeah. let's just make it a little bit more specific if you are a crafter and you want to start making your actual living should you get the same hourly price, the same kind of situation as an artist that has gone to art school? Well, for my work, we don't distinguish in people who went to art school or who don't and are what we call in Dutch autodidact. I don't know what you don't called. or you do. No, we don't. Some of the best artists are haven't been to art school and are self-educated. It's, yeah. really, it's really great for me to hear that, that in order to apply to be in the union you don't have to be a, a literally schooled artist because i think that's possible to educate yourself through courses from other artists and to have a different way of, of learning for some artists it's worked that way i mean i know a lot of artists who didn't finish art school because they they, they felt claustrophobic in the in the direction the academy was pushing them They wanted to be more free. So I don't think there, a distinction is there. What, what we call a professional artist is someone who makes, yeah, we call this in Dutch, autonome work. Autonomous. Uh, autonomous work, yeah. I think that's, yeah. I think the way you go into production versus original design, mm -hmm. there's definitely a difference there. Like you're either uh, a skilled machine making something that's already there Mm -hmm. from a pattern that's already there which is another thing we should go into later and designing your own patterns and and making your own original designs and items it's a totally different thing there's there's probably a distinction in the way you get paid in which of these two things you do and when mm -hmm. i talk about production of let's say sweater mm -hmm. you cannot just start knitting patterns that are already there and then to sell them there's a whole thing with copyrights uh, but that's perhaps for another another time actually where where we're trying to go with this interview is to give you some practical but also like clear ideas on how you can start to take yourself seriously as a maker and how you can tell yourself that you are good enough 
and worthy enough of uh, good payment, basically. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Who applies to be in the union? What kind of people do that? Um, Yeah. Yes, well, well, people who are, well, there's just people who went to art, to, through art school, but there's also people who later in life decided to be done with working in a corporate company or something. And they wanted to, to do something more professional with their creativity. There's pretty good artists in there. As an employee, I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to, to, to say something about quality, but <laughs> I've seen some stuff. And I think it's pretty good. So, so there's this whole different people. We say everyone who sees themselves as a professional artist can become a member. You have to show that you are. I mean, you have to convince us. Yeah, that's are. But the the main idea is that when you think it, you have the right mindset, and then you can become it. Yeah. And well, the next step is. If you just want to create or you want to make money with it. And that's also a different thing. I mean, some people are just content with creating and showing it to people. And that's okay. Talking to yourself, saying I am an artist makes mm -hmm. such a big difference. Yeah. Like, taking yourself and your work seriously will make a world of a difference. So that's probably the first thing you should work on, on your confidence. But then let's say we, we are this person and confidence is sky high but now we need to figure out what we're worth how do we go about it yes well that's always the difficult part because i and i think here the markets are the markets for art and the markets for knitted related items are is difficult yeah and it's it's a luxury product not all not all people are um, willing to pay for that. This doesn't mean that it can cost what it costs. Because, well, there are people are, who are willing to pay for it, who are who value it. So first, the first thing is, don't be afraid to ask. Don't set your prices too low. Because it's, it's really difficult. When you set your prices low, you target for a different market than when you set your prices higher. And it's difficult to change markets in between. So... Well, what every business uh, owner or self-employed person should do is make a business plan and see who, ha, <laughs> this is the, <laughs> nobody wants to do this, I know. <laughs> and with a business plan comes the scary part, market research. This is part knowing what you want to make, knowing what is good about your product, knowing what it is that you sell and what is the value value of that in also other ways than the money wise so i think that's the the start then normally part of the business plan is an operating budget and because well maybe we should get, go back a, uh, a step we distinguish three three ways of setting a price and one first one is comparison comparison what's already there in the market if you want to sell uh, sweaters that are being knitted i think the first step is to go to etsy and to see what sweaters are costing there well some prices will shock you as in how low they are and some are in, as in how high they are and i think it depends also on where the people are coming from hourly wages in Eastern Europe 
are lower than they are in the Netherlands. So people can, I, I, I have no idea about the economy there, but I think people need less money to, to live because rent is lower, food is hopefully <laughs> lower in cost. I, I, I have no idea. I, I don't know the economy about these countries, but this is, this is what you see when you go on Etsy. Now, the prices for, for knitted sweaters from, for example, Eastern Europe are cheaper than uh, sweaters who are knitted in, in, let's say, Western Europe. If you want to build or grow your business in textile crafts, why don't you join our online community for the small monthly contribution of only 10 euros, which is basically $10-ish. You get to hang out, learn from, and share your business and your personal craft journey with all the lovely people there. Support the podcast at the same time, and you get everything wrapped into one loving package. I would love to welcome you there. Go to patternshift.fm and click community. And while you're there, sign up for our emails so you'll never miss a thing. Yeah. So you start by comparison. Mm -hmm. Start looking around and see uh, what the prices are everywhere. And then that was the first way of setting a price. Yes. Then I think this is a good way to know the market. But I think it's also a way to set your prices too low. So I wouldn't advise taking this mainly. Uh, I would say, say... Look around because I'm sorry, but I can't. I can't knit a sweater for 200 euros. It's not sustainable. Yeah. It's I don't know. Maybe half of it is the um, is the material cost. Then the hours of knitting alone is mind blowing. Yeah. So you cannot make a living out of that. That's a hobbyist price. Weather is a hobbyist price. I yeah. think people are falling off their chairs right now. Yeah. I mean, can you make it for that money? No. I can't. I know that. This is why, yeah. No, I, you can't. This is why I started knitting. <laughs> to make the sweaters I want to wear because I wasn't able to afford it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And then in Rotterdam, we have a street called Witte de Witstraat. And they have like some design shops. And I'm not even going into the fact that I would never be able to fit any of the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but I went in there to look at the accessories. Because even big girls can have really nice accessories. <laughs> and so I got in there and I actually I bought a, a bag that I still own. I paid a good price for it. Like a good price in, sense of, in, in the sense of it cost what it needed to cost, like not a, a good price in, it was cheap. This is the vocabulary again, we need to change mm -hmm. that vocabulary. Next to the, the shelf where my, my bag, I still own it and I love it dearly. Next to that shelf, there were hand knit sweaters mm -hmm. and the price of those sweaters was almost 900 euros. And then on the way home, I started to calculate and I thought, that's actually just what it costs without even taking into consideration that this is like a designer with a name. It could have even, it should have probably even be more expensive. But yeah, 
So what is the, the next step when you set a price? Well, next step is, and this is what we've been talking about, is set an hourly wage. And there's certain things you have to take into consideration when you do this. You have to think about taxes. Because if you say 10 euros an hour, I don't know, in the Netherlands, it's, it's for the lower incomes, approximately 30%. What's left of it, it's six euros and something per hour. And if we want to make a living out of that, how many hours do you have to make? Hmm. Hmm. So a couple of years ago, I was really curious and I found this website in the Netherlands, ZZP Tarif. And it's, it's, it's still out there. I have to check the, the link so you can... Yeah, I will definitely can, share it in the show notes. Yeah. In there, they, they talk only about this, setting an hourly wage. I was curious because I was thinking, okay, the, the minimum you want to make is the minimum wage. But minimum wage is for people who are in, in jobs. So how does this relate to someone who works self-employed? I did some calculations and some more calculations. I put a lot of hours in it and I had a calculator. So. <laughs> and I found that, and this was in 2013, so it's a couple of years ago, the minimum wage translated to an hourly wage for a self-employed who has to pay taxes, fat and everything is 35 euros per hour. And then you're living minimum wage. And then, next part, you can, well, what's a what's normal work week for 40 hours a week? Yeah. yeah. So, because minimum wage says you work 40 hours and then you, you get a certain amount of money, you have a yearly income. But if you sell products and you put the hourly wage for knitting the sweater for 35 euros an hour, you're not knitting 40 hours a week. There's a lot of more more work to do so either you have to put more hours into the sweater calculate more hours or 35 euros is too low because it will not provide you the income you need so there's the the difficulty so i would say somewhere between 35 euros and 50 euros per hour is the minimum that you should ask then we come to the third part and this is, because I said it already, you need a yearly income. And you need to provide for yourself. You need to pay, well, again, those taxes. You need to pay your living space, your food, everything. So you need a certain amount of money to get through the year. And you can also do this on a monthly basis. But I think yearly basis is good because taxes are mostly on a yearly basis. So... You can also so change the mindset and say, okay, I need like, and this is low income, 20,000 euros per year, netto. I don't know, netto, is that an English word as well? I think so, net, net. net. Yeah, so I need 20,000 euros net to make a living, preferably more, of course. But, and then you can say, okay, how many sweaters can I knit in a year? How uh, many of those would I sell in a year? Then. You can calculate what a sweater would need to cost. Yeah, and this is this is setting totally different prices when you start to compare. I think this is more sustainable for you as a self-employed person. 
and there's the difficulty because well uh, is there a market for that i don't know i believe there's a market for everything but then there's the next thing you you're you're not there if you're just a skilled knitter or designer you have to be a marketeer as well yes you have to be able to communicate and to sell your products yes or to get people to do it for you and then you need to earn more to pay them exactly so you basically need to be an all-round entrepreneur as well and i remember from when i was in art school there was no information at all we didn't learn anything i mean it's a while back so i'm hoping things have changed right now at some at some art schools in the netherlands it's better but we still hear the same same thing I wish my art school had done something about this. So I think there definitely needs to be more focus on the business side of being a a crafter or an artist or whatever you call yourself in in your industry. I really think that I love it that you shared this three step, the three ways of setting your price, because I think where what people never do, like the hobbyist knitter. Mm-hmm. I'm just to- totally generalizing here, but there's no other way right now. What people, what they don't think about is the fact that they need to get to this yearly income and then calculate backwards from that. Yeah. So you're thinking of small successes in the beginning. Wow, I sold the sweater for the right amount of money. Yeah. But will you be able to sustain that throughout the year or multiple years? And when I ask people if they thought there's a market for for this type of product, 47% of the followers on Instagram that actually saw it, because that's also <laughs> a specific group, thought there's no market for it. Yeah. And that's really sad. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time... As I said, I believe there is because the world is full of people. There are a lot of people that are willing to pay fair prices, enough people to sustain you as a person and even more people. They are there. It's just the trick. How do you find them? For me, when I just started with a knitted collection, I thought only rich people will buy this. I have a completely different way of looking at these things right now. Because the amount of money that somebody spends on an item doesn't have to reflect their income. It could also reflect their their joy, their love, their support, the fact that they are able to save up money. It could reflect that too. So yeah, it's a matter of finding the right people. So I think there is a market and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk to artists in other interviews about what they think and what their experience are. So if we talk about all these serious things, I wonder if people think, well, that's not much fun. <laughs> you have to decide if you want to take it seriously as a professional or just knit for fun. Now, what is your opinion when it comes to, I'm just going to knit, put some things on Etsy, and as long as I get my material back, I'm fine with it because I just love doing it. Yeah, I do get it. I mean, I'm a hobbyist myself, and at some point I had an idea that that I wanted to sell and shoot baby clothes. And I didn't do any, any market research or anything 
whatsoever. And at some point I found out that <laughs> the, the market is really crowded. You have to do a lot of marketing and stuff. And I decided, okay, that's not for me. I chose for my, my job. Yeah, in a way, I think it's okay to do this, but you have to realize you're you're doing something to the market and you're doing something to the market for people who want, has to, have to make a living from it. And I think this is the difficulty. Well, then I, I, I use Etsy again, that there's hobbyists and there's professionals on there. And from the accounts, you cannot tell which is which. This is very difficult for the consumer to see. So I think... And, and this is what we're struggling with as a union as well. Some education to the, um, the consumer is necessary. They have to understand how, how the price is, is yeah, what's the difference in these prices? If it's just a hobbyist who sells some stuff, but has a day job, that's okay. And, and I, I think these two can be besides each other. I, I mean, they're probably reality check. They're probably going to be together forever. Let me just ask, is, does the union do anything to educate the consumer? Do they have projects around that? At this point, no. This is a struggle, well, I think since the beginning of, of the union, artists are struggling with this and so is the union. So it's, it's really difficult. And I think... What you see nowadays with clothing is that also some, some clothing selling companies are, are telling how the costs are calculated. I think this is something you can do as a professional maker to show your consumers that how your price is made, yeah. how it's calculated. Yeah. And maybe it's not necessary. I mean, if you, have, if you target the right market, then maybe it's not necessary to, to do all this. Yeah. Yeah, one of the followers on Instagram, Tinika, had a really nice way of going about this. So she's an ed educated artist and her teacher said 35 euros is the minimum hourly wage, exactly the price that you were saying. So I love that because now it's true. <laughs> <laughs> But she also said that what she does is when somebody orders something from her on the receipt, she will state the hours that she's worked on it and her hourly rate. And she will give the, the customer one hour free of charge as like a gift. Yeah. But that does something to the consumer's brain because they, they see these hours and like, oh my God, that's so much work. Wow. This is what it cost an hour. But hey, she gave me one hour. So I thought that was really a really nice way of educating your customer and not selling yourself short, let maybe for that hour. But I mean, it's a, we have to grow in this, right? So it's a road we need to travel on. And I think with products, a lot of ways to, to make sure the, the consumer accepts the price in a way is things like packaging, really good websites, like pro profile yourself, like put yourself in the market as an artist and take yourself seriously. So invest a little bit in that website and all those kinds of things and, and customer service all those kinds of things make it that people see you as a professional and there's just a big big difference like Brechtje we had her in the Conscious Knitting Club she makes the 
solid wood sock blockers. Her wrapping and the way she sells that item is so special. She finds cans, like secondhand cans, where she puts her spindles in. It's a can? No, it's not a can. It's a tin. A tin. Canned foods. This is the same word in Dutch, but in English it's called a tin. And she goes to secondhand markets and finds these. And then you get it in this. There's like so much soul and love that goes into it. It totally connects to that price. So there's lots of ways you can go about that, but take it seriously. And what I want to come back to is the, um, the question where, let me see. Then I asked people, we are not doing ourselves a favor by underpricing our handmade products. And 98% agreed. So there's a lot of different emotions and different ideas around pricing. And I think because we're asking my followers, this group, mostly hobbyists, I mean, I have some professionals following me as well, but people really just don't know. And they tend to want to make an extra buck with something they love doing because they just want to do it more. They want to do more of it. And while they do it, they can make an extra buck. That's great. But as you said, Jonna, it really does something to the price. And I want to share this, these numbers with you. I looked on Etsy. So we were talking about sweaters a lot of the time. I looked on Etsy for socks, uh, hand-knit socks. There were, let me see, 91 items for socks that cost 100 to 200 euros. So in comparison, there were 7,433 for hand-knit socks, mind you, hand-knit socks, under 20 euros. Now I'm using socks as an example because one of our followers reacted and said, I'm a fast knitter. Uh, a pair of socks. I can knit a pair of socks in six hours. So that would be 90 euros if we're talking about 15 euros an hour. Wow. So six hours, I, we talked about this before. I'm not good at math from my head. So six times 35, a pair of hand knit socks should cost 210 euros at a minimum. So here's where you go. Um, Sorry, fat not included. <laughs> fat, exactly, <laughs> yes. fat not included. Like, I, I mean, fat I mean, not included. So in, in the Netherlands, I think, I think socks is 21%? Yeah. Yeah. So make that calculation. <laughs> yeah, do you, you did that calculation. Like we're, we're both yeah. here with our calculators. <laughs> that is 44 euros of that. Yeah. That's 254 euros for a pair of socks. Yeah. Yes. And there's a lot we can learn from this. Like the value of the handmade item yeah. and the fact that we can buy uh, handmade items. Let's focus on the handmade items for really low prices, which is so not fair for people that really want to make a living out of it. But as you said, it is a, it's a long journey, but just being conscious about this. And if you're selling your items and you're listening, like up it, up them, up, 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 more and more and more. Please. Yes. Just 
when I think 20 euros for a pair of socks, I mean, I can buy store-bought socks that are probably, I mean, store-bought socks are, are made with a knitting machine. Yeah. I can, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe woolen socks are 15 euros max or maybe some are 20 i'm i'm not sure yeah i'm I'm guessing here but i mean you're also in a way of thinking you're selling yourself short because yeah a knitting machine it's i I have no knitting machine but i'm 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 sure it's done faster yes absolutely than knitting by hand the bleeding machine right (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) because they needed to price to go down so you cannot can compare these items. No. no. And on Etsy, knitted items that are made with a knitting machine, socks or, or otherwise, are sold as handmade. Yeah. And I don't know if that's okay. I mean, that's a whole different discussion. But I'll be honest about these things. But this is something you have to take into consideration when, you're, when you compare your prices with others. Yeah. Is it really handmade? Yeah. Or is it really hand hand knit? Yeah, hand, yeah, knit by hand. Knit yes, exactly. Knit <laughs> with the use of hands. <laughs> I push the button on the machine <laughs> with my finger. I think that whole what is handmade versus not handmade. Obviously, we don't want to support the fast fashion industry. So there's that. The fact that somebody spent their time and they love making these items is also valuable yes it might be more valuable and i'm gonna go on a like a little edgy thing here it might be more valuable and if it's knit by somebody you know so shouldn't hand knit socks just be gifts and not be sold yeah, that's a, that's a way of thinking. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then I think there we go back to the, are you knitting for production or mm-hmm. are you selling an original design yeah. that's where you show a part of yourself that's really original and basically in art? Yeah. So there's so much to, th- to talk about here and... Yeah, what what's also something to to tell the customer? I was thinking about this is how a woolen sweater will last for probably hundred years, maybe more. So it's really sustainable. Yeah, a sweater you buy in the store. This is my total frustration. I I love wool. I don't want synthetics. They make me sweat. Yeah. So and this is the second part. I started knitting for myself because I couldn't find any woolen sweaters 100 percent wool Quality. i couldn't really find it but if there's synthetics in there it's probably not going to keep its shape or be this beautiful for the same amount of time as, as a woolen sweater yeah i think i think it might depending on the quality of the synthetics as there's a okay different that's way. true yeah but i think it, it it has more to do with the way we view these items we view them as uh, throwaway items so they, they're not as expensive once we get sick of them or they have a little hole and um, we move on to the next one whereas if you have a hand knit sweater you will s- probably spend some time mending it 
to make it last longer. You will take care of it. You will like in winter, you will wrap it up and make it have it safe for moths and other things. And mm -hmm. I think it's more of if you go through the hole and here I go again, I know that I bring this up a lot, but it, this has totally changed me. If you learn what items in your life are functional and beautiful and spark joy, you will have a different attitude towards them. You will love them longer and you don't need that kick of the rush, the shopping rush, all of that. You can learn to appreciate a quality made item. And yes. so I would pay for a hand knit item. I would pay a fair price for it if I would totally love it. Even if I could make it myself because I appreciate somebody else came up with that idea. Yeah. And I, I bought uh, a cape from Stephen West when he did a sale from his samples. It's, I mean, a lot of people would think it's a hideous thing because it, it kind of is in a way. <laughs> and I'm sure I could, could make it myself, but only after I've seen it because it came from his braid and he has such a specific idea on color and texture. I would never have thought of that myself. So I think this is uh, one of the biggest mind shifts. I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm still making it for myself, <laughs> I mean, to be honest. I mean, I, I want to be more conscious of, of the things I buy. And, but also, it's, it's really easy to buy the cheap stuff. Yeah. It's so very easy. So it's, it's difficult. Yes. Yeah. So I believe in, in, in educating people and giving them information about all these different aspects. We can slowly make a difference and start living differently, start making better choices. I totally encourage people to get a business and do things they love, but it is a profession and you really have to take it seriously and do all the things that are not so fun. So if you really love knitting and you want to share it with other people and you don't want all of the serious shit, consider gift knitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah or, or, or really dive into it and go for it and make it happen because I personally really believe there's a market for it, although it is small. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's also one last thing. If you have a different set of products, then you can have some products that are a bit cheaper than they should be to get your customers to come to you. I wouldn't recommend it by starting because I think this is something you really have to think about and you have to be conscious about it when you do this. But I can imagine that if, for example, you knit socks and you knit sweaters, that either one of the two you make a bit cheaper than they should be just to... to well, get the customers to, to know you. And this is what, well, what's what stores everywhere do. I mean, it's what supermarkets do. That's why meat in the Netherlands is so cheap. I mean, it's ridiculously cheap. And milk, for example. But so this is, this is okay, but you're selling yourself short if you do this for every product you have. Yeah, yeah. So getting a strategy, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So to, to round off our conversation, what would you say is a doable step people can take in terms of becoming 
more professional. Yeah, it's difficult because I I, I can think of many ways and <laughs> I don't think there's there's one perfect way. But if you if you really want to do it, I would say first step and and I think this is a scary part, register for taxes. And this is a total business part. But if you're committed to take that step, I think you are that's the first step to being professional. And then comes the research because probably in your head you already know what what product you want to make. This is the, the to be honest, this is the easy part because this this is what you what you love and what you want to make. And so along the way with all these business steps, keep that in mind. Because this is what will keep you going. I realize I'm the advising part and it's easier said than done. This would be my advice, but I can understand that it's in reality, it works different. It does. And I don't think crafters go out to find a business advisor. It would not be the first step that they take. It's probably something you do when, when things get difficult or you don't get that momentum going and then you're like okay so what do I do I want to make this business work and then they go business business and then slowly this is kind of how it worked for me you start as a really enthusiastic lover of a craft and then from there you take your steps and the steps that seem logical until you reach a point where you think okay so now I need some help could you share with us some resources that we can share with people in the show notes yes well i only know because we operate mainly in the in the netherlands or actually only in the netherlands i only know dutch websites but i know chamber of commerce yeah. netherlands has very good information about how to start your business and there's all steps and things you have to think about for yourself if you're in the netherlands and you want to start a business by yourself you probably start an eight-month sack. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to don't have to check that out anymore. <laughs> Just know that's the, that's the way to go. And I, I think you can find a lot of information on the internet at first. Uh, if you're willing to do the research, you don't really need a business advisor at the first start. Yeah. It's like you said, when you get stuck. Yeah. Uh, when you don't know how to move forward. And, and I think it's really helpful to to find people who have like who are struggling with the same things, other business owners in your profession. Community people, community. Yes. yes. It's so important to find and people that are going through the same thing, enjoying the same things. So I just got an idea. I, I will definitely open up a group in our community specific for people that want to start a business in craft. And then you can find everybody there. The community is free. So just come on over and find other makers that want to be a professional in the field. Yeah. Well, I, I remember one now that is knitting related. It's also a mighty network. So do you know the, the Everyday Knitter? Yes, I do. Yeah, they have a separate group for people who are, have a profession. Some really nice people are in there, I think. Yeah. So then you have two options. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure there's a whole lot of Facebook groups. I don't like Facebook that much. There are a lot out there. Okay. I think people have to first really 
get a cup of something and process this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear some reactions. People, everybody, you can go to the show notes and we have a button there where you can tape your reaction. I would love to hear them and I want to share them in the upcoming show. So please share your thoughts with us. Thank you so much, Jana. It was so awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I liked it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. My conversation with Jana was amazing. Um, there were so many takeaways from this conversation. I am mentioning the top 10 takeaways on the show notes. So if you want to have a quick view of all the important points that we talked about, go over to the show notes at wwwja Actually, it's not dash. I just learned it's hyphen. Anyway, you know what I mean. So that was an amazing conversation it, with full of eye openers and things we kind of know, but really don't want to know. And also a lot of ways that we can actually change things. And as I'm all about change in our industry for the good, um, we were talking in our conversation, as you heard about... Uh, opening a group for business owners and professionals in the in the industry. And I proceeded to open one in my online community, which you can enter from our website that I just mentioned, and also from the show notes via a direct link. I've called it BBB, Better Business Building. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you appear in that group. Now, I have been thinking, um, we were talking about pricing and um, I need to do the same thing. So I work about 22 hours a week to provide you all with information through the podcast, the community, the Conscious Knitting Club and all of these things. But I still decided to keep this a free and open group. Um, to start off with and it's probably going to stay free so you want to explain this to you the conscious knitting club is a place where i put in a lot of hours and effort research writing making downloadable files that you can work with this group i'd like to start off as an open group where we can all know each other and talk about things that we need and we want and how asking questions about how we can grow um, our industry in a good way and our own businesses. I think that that's a good way to start to just welcome everybody in. And my plan for the future would be to then start a mastermind, a group of people that really want to get to work and want to put in more energy, more effort to make real changes and get this movement going uh, on the professional side of, um, of our industry. And so that'll be something for later. We'll just start to invite everybody in. So if you're a professional in the knitting or textile industry, you are so welcome to join us to open up this conversation. I can't wait to meet you there. The... Um, don't worry about um, the thing that a lot of business owners 
um, have that they're they're a little bit anxious about talking to, co- yeah, I would say talking to their competition. So, but think about we're not focusing on the on your collections or on uh, specifics. We are talking about general ideas and. Um, it's more about, I would, I would almost say the politics, but more about the philosophy of how we run our businesses. And um, you don't have to share everything. You can just be yourself and learn from other people. Obviously, if you share more, you get more. It's like, that's how it works. But you can choose um, what to share. So don't worry about competition. Um if you feel like things could be better and if you don't know where to start building a conscious business and just simple things you can do make a big difference. But we have to get this conversation going and um, I'm opening up the door. So please feel welcome, join us and um, leave me messages on the show notes by clicking the record button if you have any questions i'd love to answer the questions in one of our next episodes thank you bye a smaller life is more than just a podcast it's connected to Yavol, an indie yarn and tool shop from Rotterdam in the Netherlands, with an online community that's all about bringing back the consciousness in our crafting practice and businesses. The website is www.ja-wol.com. Find our conscious products, learn more about the free community, and sign up for our Conscious Knitting Club membership and our weekly newsletter. You can follow me on Instagram at Rotterdam. If you're a regular listener, consider making a monthly contribution and becoming a sponsor through our Patreon page. If you're able to make a financial contribution, it will mean a lot. The show is free for you, but it's not free to produce. If you own a business that fits the narrative, I will happily make a mini commercial for you. If you are a maker, small business owner, or otherwise experienced in running a business with a conscience, or know someone that fits the description and want to tell my listeners about your experiences, get in touch with me via the website or send me a DM on Instagram. Knowing more and choosing with a conscious makes the world better. If you have any questions about an episode or want to leave a note to me and the other listeners, click the button in the latest show notes on the website and talk. One of the easiest things you can do to support the podcast is to leave an honest review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice so you'll never miss an episode. And share it in your social network or even just mentioning it over coffee with a friend. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. Thanks for listening. Bye.